social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Because if you're social, then you really should be tweeting less. If you're social, then you really could be leading less. You can't have what people say it's so mysterious. Because you're social, you're a leader and you're serious. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of All the Social Ladies. Today, I could not be happier than to introduce you to Julia Pimsler, who is an entrepreneur extraordinaire and my dear, dear friend. So it's going to be a special day today. Julia is the CEO and founder of Little Pim, which is the leading system for introducing young children to a second language. Little Pim has won 25 awards and features the proprietary entertainment immersion method. Now, also fascinating about Julia is that she is incredible in the VC space. She's raised over $25 million, including $4.5 million in venture and angel funding and $20 million in philanthropic dollars. Julia created the Double Digit Academy as a forum to support and mentor women while helping drive the number of women-owned, VC-funded businesses into the double digits, which is something that we all know that we really, really need. And so I couldn't be prouder to introduce my friend and incredible, incredible entrepreneur, Julia. Ah, so happy to be here, Carrie. So So much fun. I've been waiting and looking forward to this. Okay, Julia. So I already know the story of you and Little Pim, but our listeners don't. And I think that they would really benefit from hearing your story. So why don't you share a little bit of the story of how you came to be you? (laughs) Where did Little Pim come from? So Little Pim is actually a panda bear. He's a cute little character who teaches young children a second language through a video series that they watch at home on TV or on a smartphone or on a tablet or anywhere that they might be watching media. And the way I came up with it was that when I had my son, my first son, I have two boys now who are six and ten, when I had my first baby, Emmett, I wanted to teach him French. I grew up bilingual in French, and that was just the best thing that my parents ever did for me. I always felt like if I had one thing going for me, it was that I got to learn a language without even knowing it. I was six years old when I learned French fluently, and it's just paid off my entire life. You know, got scholarships, was able to go live and work in Paris for a while. Now I can be your tour guide when you come there with your daughters. I I can't wait. Um, And so I just wanted my son to have that same advantage of a second language. And I was just really surprised when I went out to find a great program to teach to him. And there was nothing out there. He was about 10 months old, and he was watching Curious George and some little programs I'd let him watch, you know, Sesame Street. And I thought, well, what if I replaced a little bit of that TV time with foreign language learning time? Surely there's some great series he can watch. And there really wasn't. There was Rosetta Stone. There were a couple of things that were sort of dated and not age-appropriate for little kids. And my background was as a filmmaker. I had been a documentary filmmaker for many years, making social issue documentaries that we would sell to HBO and Cinemax and places like that. So loved media. And I'm the daughter of a language professor. My father is Dr. Paul Pimsler, who created the Pimsler Method to teach adults a foreign language. And I love kids. So I thought, wait a minute, this could be a really great opportunity to be the one to create the first language teaching method for young children. 
Um, most parents today know that kids learn best before the age of six is when you're really just a sponge for learning second languages. In fact, you can learn up to three languages with a perfect accent and no confusion if you learn them before the age of six. You can be trilingual. I mean, look at countries like the Netherlands, Pakistan, India, African countries. Those kids are all raised trilingual with no problem. It's kind of just here in America that we're still catching up. I know. It's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't actually teach the girls a foreign language earlier. I told you when I showed Kate uh, Little Pim, she loved it, but you know she's already seven, so basically. I am so proud oh, of that. I, I know. love that she's learning she, French oh, with Little Pim. She loves it. She we loves have, we it. Have, we have grown-ups learning French with Little Pim, so she's not really that much too old. I absolutely <laughs> love it. But and that so makes me very happy. When you were a documentary filmmaker, were you then, did you consider yourself an entrepreneur as well? Was that your first foray into kind of entrepreneurship? You know, it's funny. It was. It's not a term I ever used or really thought of applying to myself. I was a filmmaker. I loved telling these stories that would help impact social change. That's really what drove me to be a documentary filmmaker. I felt Mm -hmm. like such a great way to reach people and get them to think about really tough social problems in a forum where they could maybe do something about it. So we used to make films about welfare and race issues and education issues and really encourage people to take action. But then I was able to apply all that when I came up with the idea for Little Pim because I had this whole network. And, you know, we hear so much as entrepreneurs and especially women entrepreneurs about the the importance of building your network. Yes. And I can say in my case, Little Pim never would have been able to happen or take off or be made in the way it was if I didn't have this strong network to draw on. So I went back to all those great camera people I'd worked with and sound people and advisors. And I said, hey, here's my new venture, Little Pim, and brought in like award-winning filmmakers to film this baby video series. And that's part of what made the quality really, really high and made us stand out right from the get-go. And so you had to raise money in order to make this, get this started, right, Little Pim? Yes. How were you able to do it when so few women uh, are really able to accomplish this? Talk to me a little bit about your story um, and then why you think women are struggling with this so much. Well, it's funny. I've always worked. I mean, since I was 13 years old, I've had a job. I've always been very comfortable with asking for raises or, you know, raising money for issues I cared about. And I did spend five years as a nonprofit fundraiser. I think you alluded to that mm-hmm. earlier, you know, the 20 million in philanthropic mm-hmm. dollars. I think when you're raising money for something you're passionate about, and I always worked for causes I cared deeply about, usually social justice mm-hmm. issues, um, I never felt like I was asking for money. I felt like I was giving people an opportunity to take part in something really big and exciting and helping to redirect the flow of money in this country into things that really mattered and could make a difference for our social fabric. Because the truth is, if you don't redirect that money, we know where it all flows. It just flows right up to the 1% and it doesn't help make any social change that could really help build the infrastructure of our country. So I've got all this practice fundraising in the nonprofit world. Um, I worked for Echoing Green, which funds social entrepreneurs. I worked for a big Jewish organization. I worked for the Committee to Protect Journalists. So I had a lot of chances to perfect asking for money and changing from topic to topic and donor to donor. So I got to the point where as long as I was you know, pitching something I was passionate about, I could pitch just about anything. And in retrospect, that's a unique opportunity. Wow. Not many of us get the chance to you know, do that day in, day out. Wow. And so you were comfortable asking. So you were around something you believed in, which was Little Pim. You had this idea and you were comfortable asking. So how do we get women to be more comfortable asking? What's the percentage now, Julia, of women who you know all the percentages? Sure. So here's the thing. Most women start their businesses with 
about 60% of the capital that most men start their businesses with. Okay. And then this has a direct impact on their ability to grow their businesses to be high revenue generating. So I remember when I hit the million dollar mark in revenue at Little Pim and I got a call from a journalist. And she said, I want to feature you. And I said, okay, great. Why? And she said, well, I'm doing a profile on women who run million dollar plus businesses because there's only 1.8% of women run businesses that make it past the million dollar mark. Wow. I was like, can you say that again? Did you say 1.8%? It was really kind of demoralizing. Like, how could it be so low? And then when I set out to raise venture capital later on, I found out that only 4% of venture capital was going to women-run businesses. And, you know, that's not rocket science. I'm not that good at math, but I can do that math that there's a connection between those two. Women are undercapitalized, and then they're not growing the big businesses that would attract venture capital and, and the bigger dollars to help those take, take, to help women take their businesses to scale. And do you think it's because they're not asking for it, because they're not taught to, because they don't have the confidence? Where is it coming from? Well, I think as women, we get less practice talking about money than men do. I know that uh, when I look at you know my husband and his friends or some friends I went to college with, they'll sit around and talk about their stocks or they'll sit around and talk about you know what someone's being paid or just money issues that I find women don't talk about as easily. Uh, we tend to talk more about social things or our families or you know trips we want to go on and all wonderful things, but there's a hesitancy around money. And there's almost like an embarrassment or like a shame for asking for money. And that's something that I've been working on with women for many years now, because I think it really holds us back because you do need that capital often to get your idea to take off. And if you can't go out and ask for it, you know, don't ask, don't get, right? It's not going to just come to you. And that actually started a second passion project for you, right, which is Double Digit Academy. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I've raised all different kinds of money for Little Pim. I raised friends and family. I raised angel money. And then a couple of years ago, I took on the big kahuna, which is raising venture capital. I had never met any woman entrepreneur who'd raised venture capital, and I knew very little about it. But I started researching it and talking to other CEOs, mainly men who had raised venture capital, and found out that you know, that was an area that women tended not to even put their toe in the ring. And I thought, I'm going to just try it. I'm going to go try to raise venture capital. I I believe in my company. I have this incredible team. And I owe it to all of us and to the idea of Little Pim, which I'd worked so hard for, to get the right capital to take the company to scale. After about a year of pitching over 30 times and many, many no's and many low, dark moments, I did raise $2 million for Little Pim. And, you know, I'm in this tiny handful of women who've raised venture capital, which I hope will get to be many thousands and millions of women. (laughs) But, you know, when I got through that eye of the needle, I looked back and said, now I get why so few women are funded. You know, one, we don't even know where to begin. And two, it's so hard to get those skills and get those contacts. It took me months and months of research to figure out how to raise venture capital. And I was a very experienced fundraiser. So I kind of had a wake-up call and thought, well, if it's this hard for me, and I even kind of like fundraising, I'm one of those weird people, I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, and women especially, are terrified of fundraising. They don't want to ask for money. And it would be so hard for them to ramp up and go get venture capital. So I decided to take everything I had learned in those nine months of intensive research and pack it into a one-day boot camp for women entrepreneurs to help them learn how to raise angel and venture capital. And I called it Double Digit Academy because I really want to get that 4% up into the double digits. I think we're now at 7% two years later, but 
it's really still low numbers. You know, you look at Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, where she's bemoaning that women are at 20%, and it's right. like, we'd love to be at 20%. Exactly. 20% <laughs> would be amazing for us. Exactly. In the VC world, it would. Exactly. So you raised money at Little Pim, and then you started to really develop and ramp up the product. So tell me a little bit. I know you had mentioned, or I believe I mentioned in your bio, about the entertainment immersion method. Tell us a little bit about how kids are learning language through Little Pim. Sure. So we wanted to meet kids where they were at with the entertainment immersion method. As a mom, I knew that you really can't force a 10-month-old or a 2-year-old to do anything they don't want to do. They're actually sort of a merciless audience. You know, they just get up and walk away if they don't like the, the program or the product. So my idea was let's make language learning really fun and really easy, both for the parent and the child, because after all, this is the mom making a decision, right, to put on Little Pim Spanish or Little Pim French or Little Pim Chinese instead of anything else they could be watching or playing with. So the first thing we did was come up with a method that kids would love. We created this little panda bear. His name is Little Pim. And uh, he's just this adorable, curious, feisty little panda bear who is the teacher of the series. And kids get really attached to him. You know, we know that no little girl is going to tug on her mom's pant leg and say, I want to learn Mandarin Chinese. That just doesn't happen. We right. wish it would, but it doesn't. Right. But they do tug on mom's pant leg and say, I want to watch the panda. And the more they watch the panda, the more they know Chinese, and it's great for their brain development and their kind of head start in school as well. So I created the entertainment immersion method based in part on what I had seen worked of the Pimsleur method, my father's method, which has baked into it something called gradual interval recall. And that's just a fancy way of saying that when we teach you a new word in French or Spanish or Chinese, we know exactly when to bring that back. So that just when you're on the verge of maybe forgetting it, you get that little mm. reminder. Because it's so hard to learn all the vocabulary in yes. a new language. And yes. that's one of the challenges. Yes. But kids are so great at picking up new vocabulary. And it's really not hard for them. It's so much harder for us than it is for them. I don't know if you've ever heard the term um, neurally committed to English. As of about age six, we are neurally committed to English, which basically means that your brain really mainly recognizes the patterns and the phoneme, the sounds, yep. and the English language. Yep. So if you don't get that foreign language exposure in early before the age of six, you just never have the same facility with it. Wow. Amazing. And so when you are building an audience for this and you're building people who fall in love with Little Pim, I would imagine that you have to really connect with moms, that I would imagine that social is probably a key part of that. Tell me a little bit about how you've built using social. So social was part of our marketing from the very beginning. You know, moms are on Facebook and now they're on Pinterest and they're on Instagram and Twitter as well. So we started with just Facebook and over time we've added in all of the social media channels I just mentioned. And what's fun for us is we're able to feed up to the mothers this exposure to world culture, to world languages, whether it's calling out that it's Cinco de Mayo and giving them recipes to make a Mexican flag cake, or whether it's, you know, words in Portuguese when the World Cup is happening and playing little games that have to do with introducing your child to what do they eat in Brazil when it's Christmas time? Well, they eat something called rebanada. And <laughs> rebanada looks a lot like French toast, as it turns out. Wow. But it's a Brazilian dessert. Rebanada. Rebanada. I That's love right. it. You can roll your R. I love it. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, that's so much fun for us to, we know how busy moms are. And look, I'm, I'm a mom, a working mom, as it turns out, but 
I have so many friends who are at-home moms, and we all have the same challenges. You know, how do we keep up with it all, mm-hmm. and how do we bring to our children a rich experience, a rich educational experience mm-hmm. that before your child starts school, it's really all up to you as the mom. Mm-hmm. And you know, our, we see part of our role as helping her to get access to great educational material about world culture and language to bring to her child. So it sounds like a lot of your social strategy is really about adding value, how you can add value to mom, which is right on. Tell me about you using social personally. Do you feel that you, as a founder, using social helps the business? So it's an interesting line between personal and business mm-hmm. when you have a company that is so much your passion, but it's not me. You know, it's not right. called the Julia Pimsler company. Right. It's Little Pim. But at the same time, you know, my kids are studying French. My younger child goes to a French-English bilingual school here in New York. So I'm constantly seeing things that I want to share with our audience, whether it's um, the kids singing a French song at a school gathering, or maybe it's, um, well, I know that when Adrian, my younger son, graduated kindergarten, you know, that went up on our social site. So we sort of pick and choose which moments to share with the wider PIM audience. Um, We did have, we pick and choose the moments to share from my personal Facebook posts with the larger PIM audience. And we're always looking for the tidbits that will interest our wider audience, but still, I'd like to keep, you know, my my personal life still separate. And I, yeah. And I think that that concept of injecting a little bit of the warmth and persona that you have, bringing that to Little Pim is so great and yet still managing to keep a separate presence, I think is really, is what a lot of people struggle with. But I think, I, you know, for me in watching you, I think you have that really nailed. Oh, thank I lo- you, Karen. I love that. Well, it's I true. love our community of moms and yeah. I just feel so lucky to be bringing them a second language because I know how hard it can be to find a really great way to teach your child anything, still the less another language. You just reminded me that the other reason I created Little Pim was that I looked around at what moms were showing their kids, and I thought, well, you know, a lot of that stuff is fine. It's kind of eye candy, you know, baby Einstein or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they they were missing out on this opportunity to use that screen time to really teach their so- child something that they would value for a lifetime, the way I've valued being bilingual. And it's really learning a second language Learning a second language up until we created Little Pim was kind of a privilege of the 1%, if you think about it. I mean, the yes. upper echelons have always yes. had a way to teach their child a second language, yes. whether it was an Annie from another country, you know, expensive language classes, yes. and everyone else had no access. So really what gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea that we are democratizing foreign language learning. And everyone at Little Pim is just so energized by that. We have a partnership with One Laptop Per Child where they put three million little PIM English onto computers and sent them into the developing world. So we're in Africa, we're in uh, poor parts of Latin America, we're all over where kids need to learn English in order to get their family out of poverty. And when I see our method being used in that way, I'm just so ecstatic. That's really why I created it. And I love how you've built in your desire to work towards social justice towards this business that that's a really incredible thing so it's that's awesome 
Well, thank you. We 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 think of ourselves as a double bottom line company. You know, it's like we're going to make money for all of our investors. Everyone's going to be happy they invested. But we also have a mission that's beyond just the revenues part. It's really about transforming how children learn languages all over the world. I love that message. And I I also love that message for aspiring entrepreneurs is that you don't – there can be kind of in a way, like you said, a double bottom line. I think there can be that concept of the double bottom line, which I, I love. Um, tell me uh, now. You mentioned before about screen time, and I know that obviously since you founded Little Pem, there's been a tremendous shift into digital. Right? It was yes. it started exclusively as a DVD. Yes, our first company. product were DVDs. First product were DVDs, and then you've had to transition to digital. I'm sure that that's a big shift, right? Can you tell Definitely. me a little bit about some of that and how Little Pim has evolved? Sure. Well, since I was a documentary filmmaker before I started Little Pim, I always knew that DVDs were just going to be a stop along the road and that ultimately mm. it would be digital downloads. Mm. So we made a lot of decisions early on that actually raised our production costs but have really paid off now. So for instance, we shot in high definition. We shot everything sized for a small screen. And all of our videos are in five-minute little episodes that are all strung together, so perfect for downloading and streaming, which meant that once parents started catching up, which now, of course, they have, and they're all downloading and streaming, I I would say about 50% of our purchases are digital now of Little Pim. Wow. We were, you know, ready with that. We didn't have to change the product. What we did have to do, however, was really innovate how we were selling. And that was part of why I raised the venture capital a couple of years ago is I wanted to really expand our digital footprint. So we created a number of new apps, including a progress tracking app so that parents could see exactly what their kids Mm. were learning. And that's been so exciting to watch parents sitting down with their kids and using this free app we created where they can see exactly what words the kids learned and quiz them and play the sounds of the language. If they don't speak it themselves, it's all right there in the app. That's been really fun. That's awesome. And so as you uh, talked about going back for venture capital to do that, I'm thinking of, you know, a young entrepreneur, maybe somebody who has just started their business and they're thinking about, okay, I want to go after friends and family and angel, and I want to get to the VC. I want to, I want to have a big win. They have a big vision. What advice do you have for them? When you start conceiving of your company, it's really important to think about many steps down the line. So it's so tempting when you're an entrepreneur to just solve the problems that are right in front of you. And there are so many every single day, whether it's dealing with customers or you're trying to hire or fire staff or just keeping the place afloat. But it's so important to take the time to think about your long-term plan because many businesses have this huge, you know, multi-million dollar potential that if you don't plan for it, you won't actually get there. In mm. fact, I read a quote recently that really jumped out at me. It said that the only thing that determines success over and over and over again has been proven success for business owners. It's not the size of the company. It's not the sector they're in. It's not the experience of the CEO. It's the leader's ability to set a goal and drive their team mm. towards that goal. And that really resonated with me because until I decided I'm going to raise venture capital and I'm going to take this big, it never would have happened just wow. all by itself because you're just running so fast every day wow. trying to keep up with it all. So my advice would be talk to other CEOs who are a few years ahead of where you are. I got such great advice from other CEOs who had raised venture capital. And suddenly something that seemed so unattainable and mysterious became much more concrete and, and doable. And I find entrepreneurs are incredibly willing to share 
you know, what resources they used, how they went about it, you know, all kinds of things you really can't find even on the Google. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I also think that what, from what you said, it's about setting the goal, like what the clear goal is. Uh, and I think that that's key. I think that's something a lot of times I know I struggle with can be really challenging. And, um, and so I love that. Well, and as women, of course, we have so many different goals that we're juggling, right? We right. have our personal goals, right. we have our family goals, we have our business goals. Yeah, true. And so it's different for everyone. And by the way, I completely applaud any woman who wants to have a business that just fits around her kids' a schedules. A lifestyle business, absolutely. Absolutely, fantastic. You know, absolutely. in my case, I always knew I wanted a big, international, successful brand that was going to be, you know, much, much bigger than anything that I could do at my kitchen table. Yep. So that's what I was driving towards. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I have a great infrastructure at home. My husband is super hands-on with the kids. I have an amazing babysitter. And I love the way my life has turned out with, you know, work that I'm incredibly passionate about. But I also do, you know, take plenty of time to be with my family and, and achieve those other goals that are just as important to me. Well, Julia, it seems like you've achieved wonderful things with Little Pim, and I cannot wait to see what's next for Little Pim and to watch you just soar. It's oh, really, Karen, really well, exciting. I'm such a huge fan of, of yours. Course. It's so much fun to be here. It's the Mutual Admiration Society, the Love Fest. Okay, Julia, where should people follow you and where should they follow Little Pim? So they can follow me on Twitter at Julia Pimsler. And Little Pim is on Facebook. Please like us and join our community. And you can also follow us on Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Awesome. Thanks, Julia. You were a fabulous guest. Love being here. Love, love. Au revoir. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, Sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. 